Hello everyone and welcome to a special release day episode of Inking Out Loud. For episode 42, we're diving into Brandon Sanderson's Star Sight, the sequel to his 2018 young adult novel Skyward. I'm your host, Rob Santos. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host and friend, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And before we get started, quick warning, this is going to be a spoiler-filled episode, not a generalized spoiler-free one. So if you're checking this out on release day or in the days immediately after, make sure you finish the book before listening to the rest of this podcast, because we are going to go absolutely crazy with the spoiler talk in here. So now, now that that's out of the way, Drew, Starsight, man, where do we begin? Well, uh, we begin by uh, just saying how lucky we were that we were able to read this oh, thing my in goodness. advance. Yes. Um, it was one of the coolest was... moments when you told me that I actually I had an advanced reading copy. I was like, oh, are you kidding me? Oh, my God. I was so excited. <laughs> yeah. Um, this this was my second book being a, a beta slash gamma reader for Brandon Sanderson. On I, I was not on the beta for this. I was on the gamma. Um so I I just read it a couple of months ago. Myself. And to be clear, I'm I'm not on either of those lists. I was just I, I was lucky enough to receive an advanced reading copy. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Peter was uh, Peter Alstrom was kind enough to uh, fire a copy over to us so that Rob could read it. And My man, Peter. Thank you so much, Peter. Out as soon as possible for all of you guys, because I know. I know there are plenty of rabid Sanderson fans who are probably done with this book already and <laughs> really want this content, or some who are so, re- like you know ready to dive back in and do a reread. I'm sure. Yeah, that too. <laughs> see what uh, see what we thought about it. Yeah, so um, let's uh, let's do a little recap of the book. Just okay. To, uh, sure, sure. So obviously, this is going to be spoilers for the entire book, as Rob said. Uh, we we pick up. Uh, you know, a little while after Skyward, where the uh, the Defiant, uh, you know, the DDF population of Detritus, the DDF, yeah. um, they have achieved uh, orbit over Detritus. They've started co-opting the space platforms and the defenses there. They have a kind of a space platform staging ground for their fighter pilots. Spensa and Mbot are leading the way. Uh, in the defense against the superiority, this uh, conglomerate of aliens who are bent on uh, keeping humanity penned on this planet. And uh, early on, though, a another alien crash lands on Detritus, and it turns out this other alien named Alanik is uh, another Cytonic, like Spensa, and she has been recruited by the superiority to become a new fighter pilot for them. And, but she's, she crashes, she's injured. Spensa, uh, takes her place using some illusion technology from Mbot and flies to a superiority station called Starsight, which is where most of the events of this book take place mm-hmm. and undercover enters into the superiority, uh, military <clears throat> goes through training. We meet a bunch of different races of aliens, some really neat ideas, uh, uh, Spensa kind of makes friends and, and teammates, squad mates with a few different ones. There's Hesho, the uh, Kitson. Hesho, my man. I love this guy. Totally not their king. Definitely totally not. not their ruler. Definitely <laughs> they are not. definitely a democratic uh, race. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, and then there's, I mean, there, there are, what, four or five different 
species. Yep. And then, of course, yep. Braid, who's another human, but a pacified human uh, working for the superiority. And we find out mm-hmm. that there are other human colonies out there. And yep. the reason the superiority is so hellbent on uh, containing humanity is that humanity started some wars in the past. And we get some answers about the eyes and cytonics and the dangers there. And what it is is they start attracting the attention of these huge invincible like black hole kind of creatures called delvers and uh the superiority is training spencer and her squad to fight against delvers and she goes through the training uh there's a bunch of political maneuvering going on among the different factions of superiority and one of them kind of wins out and this one faction wants to destroy detritus and uses Braid, who's another Cytonic, to attract a Delver at Detritus. And Spensa then has to lead it away and fight it and sort of defeats it. Has one of these kind of weird conclusions there. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. while she's recovering at the end here, um, a civil war basically starts going down in the superiority. There's a coup, and Spensa flees with Mbot, but while doing so does some things that mbot really doesn't like and we are left on quite a cliffhanger yeah she flees with doombot and doombot listen to me doombot. mbot and doomslug yeah yes that was that was pretty cool um yeah good so that, that was actually a really good uh overview there thank you um the, so I, the first thing i want to do is i want to contrast let's let's jump jump into our style discussion i wanted to contrast the first chapters in particular between this one and its predecessor skyward because <clears throat> we had mm-hmm. Skyward starting with a very quiet, kind of serene first scene. It's, you know, we have Spencer reminiscing about her father, if I remember correctly, and the day that became known as the Battle of Alta. But in in this installment, Sanderson just launches us directly into combat. We have words like overburn, we have chaotic mess, we have destructor blasts and explosions in literally the first sentence. So, in, in this way, it kind of matches the tone, I think, of his earlier young adult series, The Reckoners, but that's about where the resemblance ends. I'm not going to get too much more into that. But how it differs, though, to me, is kind of how much this, from The Reckoner series at least, how much the pseudo-horror element keeps popping up. Like, I found myself continuously creeped out at times in Skyward. And in this one, okay, yeah, the mystery of the eyes and the extra information that we get about the Delvers, it kind of lessens that particular horror element to me. But it does succeed in changing the entire direction. Like the, the sheer awesome power of the Delvers is intimidating enough to make up for oh, yeah. that, that bit of lessened air of mystery, I think. What about you, dude? Yeah, uh, I think this book was not at all what I was expecting. Not even close. Uh, I, I think Agreed. it was a great uh, uh, twist that Brandon pulled at, on like a macro scale, right? Everybody thinks going into Starsight that they know kind of the situation, what it's going to be like. <laughs> yeah. And, like, this is a a twist, the likes of which you would expect 85% through a, a Brandon Sanderson book, not a third of the way through a series. You know, like, it, it, it just comes out of nowhere in, in such a shocking way. Um, and I will say, when I sat down to actually read this book, I did know what it was going to be about it was uh because if you remember back on our skyward episodes when yeah we were doing predictions i i abstained yeah i remembered that yeah uh, which yeah, made me so... go wait a second you didn't have a, an <laughs> arc at that point did you no, no you couldn't so have, yeah the beta had happened 
and you know i i was in the beta like chat and, and gamma discussion um and i i you know i was aware of what went down there but uh so i just <laughs> knew the premise though i just knew the premise okay i didn't know like any real plot details so when i read it first i was still wildly surprised by you know the twists and turns this book plot took. details in the beta chat what was that do they not discuss beta, uh, plot details in the beta chat? So, well, there was a separate um, Skyward beta chat. Oh, okay. That I that was not sense. on. Okay. Uh, yeah. It, that's a whole separate conversation. Yeah, but yeah, I, for sure. I knew I knew some of the details going in. Um, the uh, uh, the specific plot points, though, really took me by surprise. And and let me tell you, by the end of this book, I was just blown away. I I think <laughs> this is. You know, I'll reiterate this at the end. I'm sure this is one of the best books Brandon Sanderson has written yet. Um, yeah, I think his writing prowess was on full display here. All of his trademarks are, you know, present mm -hmm. in the spotlight. He's stronger than ever with his characterization, his pacing. I, I mean, this this book is a an intense read from beginning to end, and that's that's a standout among his books a lot of his books have you know that sanderson avalanche a slower build up to a crazy conclusion this one is fast from beginning to end yeah and and it was a, a really enjoyable read because of that yeah no th i'm really glad that you brought this up here in our style uh discussion or our style segment because that is something that i did tell you i think i remember texting you right away uh like within minutes maybe just within hours of getting this uh, advanced reading copy I texted you something along the lines of this book is so much Brandon Sanderson holy yeah. crap it is Brandon Sanderson his fingerprints are all over this thing from the first letter to the last and I loved it all the way through I really really did um, I will say I wasn't a huge fan initially of the climax in this one or I should say the initial climax with like the DDF and the superiority fighters in combat before like you know the Delver arrives and shit really uh -huh. hits the fan um, it did honestly feel a little too much to me the, the climax I'm still talking about, the initial climax, a little too much like the end of part three of Oathbringer to say absolutely no more about that. Mm. Uh, but I still want to focus on how how Sanderson managed to set this final stage with so many sides and so many different stories, hopes, and objectives. Like on First off, first off on the large scale, we have the DDF. There's this desperate, war-torn people struggling not to be exterminated. We have the Superiority, who's a vast galaxy-spanning empire with some reason or other to not to trust the human scourge, as they refer to mm -hmm. it. But then, on the smaller scale, we have these intimate struggles of each of our characters. We've got Spensa, she's trying to discover herself and the nature of her powers. We've got Moriomur. I, I, I'm going to pronounce it that way. Moriomur? 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 Who wants something this, like that? Who wants murmur. yeah, <laughs> murmur. Who wants this version of themselves to be noteworthy in some way? We have Hesho, my man Hesho. Oh, oh, I yeah. love this guy. He wants the best for his people by earning distinction. I guess I would say, uh, despite you know all the, the the cards being stacked against them. But then we have this vehicle to bring these two together. We have the mid-level struggles. We have Kuna of the Department of Species Integration, who wants who sees value in expanding the citizenry with other races, who who really thinks the Delvers are a much bigger threat than Winzik, for example, the other side, our principal antagonist, who wants to kill two birds with one stone and use the threat of the humans as a grasp for power. So despite how kind of predictable I found this initial climax to be originally. I want to point uh -huh. out that it was masterfully done. Masterfully done. 
And then, of course, the Delver shows up, and I was so on board with it from there on out. It was really cool. Yeah. Uh, see, I really enjoyed that kind of climactic battle, and then, of course, the the maneuvering and the engagement with the Delver with Spencer. Mm. But I found, again, without going into too many details here, I found the ultimate climax with the Delver to be reminiscent of, it, the at least thematically, the conclusion of Calamity. Yes, in, exactly. In the oh, my goodness, yes. And, uh, and if you recall on, on the Reckoners episodes, that's my least favorite Sanderson ending. It's the only ending I've read in one of his books that I was unsatisfied with. And uh, despite that, I was very satisfied with this ending. Well, because this wasn't with, the ending of a series. This was just... Well, well, but this scene, I was satisfied with this scene. Okay. Even though it was similar in, in kind of tone and theme to what he did in Reckoners, I thought it was handled much, much better here. Um, it, it's it, There was more tension, I think. Uh, and it was a more powerful character moment for Spencer than it was for the parties involved in the Reckoners. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, there is a third climax after that in the uh, the epilogue yeah. and then the hidden <laughs> chapter after the epilogue. How ballsy was that? Yes, that was just a masterful piece of writing. I I, I remember you know scrolling through that page and getting to the end of the epilogue and i was like no way you can't and then mm -hmm. realizing oh wait there's a few more pages left yeah and scrolling down more and be like oh you know <laughs> i want to you know what i'll say i did not have that moment because I, by the time the epilogue and i say epilogue was over i had totally forgotten that this was supposed to be the epilogue and the manner in which it ended i just immediately flip to the next and i was like oh yeah it, it, it just continued for me <laughs> and it wasn't until afterwards when you where you texted me back and i told you i'd finished it and you had said like holy crap though how crazy was that maneuver at the end there that brandon pulled and i was like what are you talking about and you're like the epilogue yeah, yeah. and how it has a chapter after that and i was like <gasps> what and i went back and i was like oh he's not kidding oh my god i didn't i didn't even notice yeah it, it was i i couldn't believe that you didn't notice that because it, <laughs> it blew me away so much i yeah. i was I think uh, I just flipped to the next page. Like I knew there was know, something coming I, next. When I listed this on Goodreads, you know, of course, because I, you know, wasn't really allowed to discuss plot points or anything like that at that that stage of things, and and so you know, I just rated it five stars, and all I wrote was, "I am shook." <laughs> <laughs> Three words: I am yeah. shook. Yeah. I mean, it it just it, it was a treat reading this book, and and it tells me. You know, Brandon is still getting better. Yeah. He's, some, the, he's somehow still getting better. That's the, the caveat that I want to add there. Somehow <laughs> still getting better. I didn't think his, there was better to get. His upward trajectory as an author with his <laughs> talent and his craft is just bonkers. I mean, yeah. you you go back... You know, because he started off, he was a good writer. You know, we, we've covered Elantris. Solid. Covered Warbreaker, you know, solid. some of his earlier things. Yeah. They're good books. They're not perfect books, but they're good books. And then, you know, we get to the point, you know, we haven't discussed uh, Stormlight Archive or, yep. or Mistborn I yet. know, dude, I'm uh, so excited. But, but he has just grown by leaps and bounds as a writer, and he continues to do so. And I am thrilled to see it, because that that still holds so much promise for the future. We're only two books into a four-book Skyward saga, mm -hmm. you know? With with the way Starsight ended here, we're looking at some crazy stuff to come in a couple of years. 
you know, it, it's uh, it's just a delight being a reader and a fan of Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> no, it definitely is. I'm so glad that that I found this guy eventually. You know, um, and as you were just saying, we haven't covered Mistborn. We haven't covered Stormlight. We haven't covered his recent body of work well we're technically recovering his most most recent one right here and right now but yeah <laughs> overall we still haven't even covered like a third of his released books yet and i love that we're mm-hmm. like what this is what well, at this point we're 42 episodes in even though we've recorded 43 plus a couple of bonuses um i'm just i'm so excited to to actually get to the point where we where we get to discuss mistborn the final empire the well of ascension hero of ages yeah i cannot wait for that hero of ages episode my dude oh my god i don't have so much to glow about but let's get back to the style discussion of star sight here because there's still a couple style points that i want to discuss sure Um, yeah so number well i'll say number one but we've already been talking so number two at least for me the manner in which sanderson continues to lay breadcrumbs for us to follow um i mean this is not something that's new for a reader of brandon sanderson no one's going to be surprised by this but it's still entertaining every single time i had a moment drew in chapter Mm -hmm. 18 in because this was a reread this time, it made me laugh out loud when I realized what exactly I was reading. And I have a quote. I wrote the quote down here from the text. Doom slug trilled at me excitedly from the bedroom when I checked on her. I'd set up a litter for her and some chopped mushrooms, which, judging by the crumbs left, she'd found an acceptable meal. Yep. And I just wrote down, uh-huh. Crumbs. Huh? Crumbs? Yeah, that's the word you're going to go with there? Yep. And then in chapter 27... <laughs> Mbot discovers, well, actually, Spencer tells him to read up about the Tainix. That's what he discovers. That's what this slug is. And in the one paragraph he speaks, he mentions that they diet on common fungi. Nicely yep. done there, Mr. Sanderson. Nicely done. Uh, yeah, I I will say the Doom Slug, you know, and we can discuss this revelation in depth a little later on. Sure, here, but- yeah. I was not at all surprised by no, that. No, you definitely were. You made that prediction in Skyward. Yeah, like, I was expecting that to be revealed at the end of Skyward, and much less, you know, near the end of Starsight. I, yeah. I thought that was a little more telegraphed than some of the other twists and turns in this. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I do have a couple of criticisms that I want to bring up as far as style goes. Okay, and, I actually have one, so yeah, a, go ahead. Uh a callback to the Elantris episodes where if you recall I brought up Brandon's usage of uh, modifiers uh, <laughs> yeah yeah okay vaguely I remember um, where he'll instead of saying something is simpler he'll say it's more simple yeah or darker instead he'll say of more dark yeah um, things like that <clears throat> uh, that remains the case yeah I in, didn't notice it in at this all. book I'm surprised because you have been uh, bringing in, it to my attention there, there are a lot of um, a lot of them in this book, uh, but <laughs> exactly. I, I have been I've been politely informed that Brandon sees it as a a style choice, mm. and that it is not not something he intends to change. Oh. He likes doing that. Well, hey, I didn't even so. notice. So I'm sure yeah. I'm sure ninety nine percent or more ninety nine point nine nine percent will not notice such a trait. I think. Um, the yeah. one, the one, oh, sorry, were you done with your point there? Because I, I do have one little nitpick myself. About I, I am done. A style yeah. thing here. Spence's conversation with Braid. And this is the one where they actually come close to a heart to heart. Spencer asks her originally at the beginning of the scene how she felt being taken away from her parents at such an early age. And Braid doesn't respond. 
you know, Spencer assumes, okay, I'm being ignored, and they continue on their mission. And then later, in the same chapter, out of nowhere, Braid says, I was furious. Of course, Spencer's like, initially like a little confused she's like what were you oh and then she realizes the context but i wanted to focus mm-hmm. on this moment because it heavily heavily reminds me of a moment in words of radiance without getting any spoilers there either and it has a very similar discussion in structure not in, not in content with and oh yeah like brandon really does have a knack for this really tense visceral scene between two characters but in this case i have to admit it felt a bit heavy-handed. I don't know. I just... It was... Hmm. I don't know. It's 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 this kind of formula where a character says something, they're ignored, and then pages later, in some cases, the next character actually responds to it. And the first character's, oh, a little confused at first. And then they have to think backwards in the conversation yeah. and go back for context on that. And it's usually like a very, very simple line, too. With which it was... Uh, should I censor this? I don't know. <laughs> it was the king. No... Yeah, yeah, uh, we'll we'll bleep that out. Um, okay, but I it's funny you bring that up because I'm not surprised you had that issue with it. Okay. I personally didn't, but this actually reminds me of one of the specific issues you brought up on the Ruin of Kings episode, mm. where oh my goodness, where there was a conversation cut in half, yeah, because of that like dual yeah. storyline where there's no chapter break ended. here. <laughs> it was like mid conversation at the end of a chapter, and then another chapter entirely. And then back to the middle of that conversation. Yep. Um, so so this is just a, a literary technique you are not a fan of? Uh, no, because Brandon Sanderson did not have a chapter break or even a scene break in between that the first line for context and then the response later. Even though the, our character, our point of view character, was a little, initially a little confused, we were still in the same scene, so it doesn't take the reader mm-hmm. too long to realize what the context is. Jen Lyons was nothing like that because yeah, yeah. she stopped that conversation hard at a really dumb point, put an entire chapter there after it, and then picked up on that first one with nothing to explain in between. It was completely different. The way Brandon Sanderson did it here, I mean, it, it, it just, it was, it didn't bother me for the same reason. Okay, I got it. It didn't feel like it was fumbled so much as it just kind of felt too much. A little too hmm. melodramatic, perhaps. Okay. See, I, I did like this particular scene quite it was like, a I, lot. I, I do like I, the scene around it. I loved what it said about Braid's character. And mm. honestly, I think... Yeah, maybe we'll get into this uh, more in, in, like, the character discussion. Okay, sure. Um, well, I'm pretty but... much done my style discussion, so if you want to dive into character... Okay, well, then let's start with Braid. Because oh, she, okay. yeah. she is, I, I think, the most compelling character in this book. What? Uh, uh, there, There is so much to dig into with Braid, and there is so much hidden depth to her. I do not agree with that at all. I mean, she... she, I I really hate her by the end of the book for what she does, you know, for for betraying them. But but I think she has so much potential as a character. She's going to have a great role going forward. Um, But in this particular scene, I think it says a lot about the kind of person that she is. That she doesn't respond immediately and she spends all of this time just digesting the one question and finally coming to the point where she's like, yes, I'm going to respond a and B, this is the conclusion. The answer that I have that I have spent this time thinking about in that way. She reminds me a little bit of a uh, parent Ibarra from 
the Wheel of Time, where he likes to take his time thinking things through. He doesn't speak hastily. And Braid is sort of that same kind of taciturn, uh, reserved Stoic, personality. Perhaps. I can see that, but she's also very impulsive. Yeah. Uh, he, see, I don't know if she... She absolutely is. So much she, of... she directly dis- disobeys Spencer in, in combat and just does her own thing and just veers off all the time. So I don't know if that's... If you could call that impulsive, though. Sure I could. think that is something conditioned into her by the culture. She she has been essentially brainwashed to believe that humans act this way. So therefore she acts this way. I would still argue that's and... impulsive, even if it's ingrained. It's still impulsive no, be- because as a it's person. like. It's, it's like a preordained choice. I don't know. Uh, but I I think we're going to see, and you know maybe this is a little bit of a prediction that I should say for the end, but uh, I think we're going to see Braid develop a heck of a lot more going forward as a character. I think she has so much potential uh, for, as both a, like a plot tool and a, a character for readers to connect with in good or bad ways. Uh, for Brandon to handle going forward. Hmm. And I I loved her interactions with Spencer, both good and bad in this book. Um, like I said, I, I despise her decision at the end there. That was infuriating. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but I was... I found her deeply, deeply compelling as a character. Hmm. See, I didn't uh, at all. Like, I was fed up with Braid from the first time we saw her. I just she 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 didn't give she didn't give Spencer a chance like she does I don't there was just something so infuriating like okay you said infuriating I get that oh yeah that's how she's supposed to come across but I just by the end I was just so done with this character I was hoping that Spencer was going to kill her I was really hoping particularly when she was making that cytonic scream and she was trying to bring the Delver in and then she hit you know, Hesho's ship. And I was like, Oh Oh, no, she didn't. Yeah. No, she didn't. Spencer kill this bitch is what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oh man. Oh, Hesho. And then we found out that Hesho. RIP. Yeah. That's just such a bummer. I was like, I was so wrecked when I heard that he had died. Can we move on to Hesho then? I mean, if you'd want to, we haven't even discussed Spencer, our main character yet, but if (laughs) I don't know if any death, (laughs) In a Brandon Sanderson book, <laughs> has hit me as hard as Hesho. Oh, it was like it was such I a freaking tragedy. Him. I know. Oh, he's. I mean, he's just so adorable. Drew, like, <laughs> raise your beer right now. Let's have a drink oh. in Hesho's memory. This one's to this one's to Hesho. To the definitely not the king. Definitely not the king. Democratic <laughs> man. Mm. All right. Next yeah. year. <laughs> uh but but yeah the the kitson in general i i found just just so great and they're, uh, they're so they're, cute everything about them is just so much fun they're a treasure like what a what a brilliant creation by brandon sanderson although i will say um i'm pretty sure they're not entirely his creation uh so this is one of the you think this is like a dan little... wells inspired no um it's it's real life inspired if you go back to like the history of the kitson where they had their like yeah to earth you know yeah yeah they're very um, like east asian i think they were in, yeah like, they were involved and... with japanese culture yeah in in japanese culture there are like l- these legendary like fox creatures called kitsune really 
Yeah, they're oh, like little... Oh, that's cool. Like, are you familiar with Pokemon? Yes, I'm familiar with Pokemon. So, Ninetales... What the hell? Like... What would you have done if I had said no to that question? Me, a millennial, 28 uh, years just old. Just making if sure, I had said, just making sure. Pokemon, what is that? <laughs> but yeah, like, Ninetales is kind of inspired by that myth. Really? Um, but yeah, so, so I'm... I'm pretty freaking sure that's where the Kitsen came from. Oh, that's so cool, uh, though. But yeah, they're they're just a delight every time they're on the page. His choice I love... to make them like you know so Ugh. like especially Hesho so stoic and have such a deep voice and, and have such a poetic look on life and the manner in which he speaks. This such a oh, oh my god! I could go with a, like like a Hesho novella. Hesho, yeah. Yeah, Hesho. I, I kept for some reason I kept actually typing Hensho in my notes and I had to keep stopping myself. I was like, no, Hesho. Okay, uh, so actually I have one more kind of nitpick. Oh, do you? Uh, with with the writing. Oh, uh, dealing okay. with the Kitson. Oh, so the name of their ship. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is big enough to kill the you. current? What? In a stream reflecting the sun. Okay. That is the name of the ship. It, it they say yeah, yeah. this is the Kitson Unity ship swims against the current in a stream reflecting the sun. Yeah. Whenever it's shortened, it's called swims upstream. Oh. Against the current versus upstream. Yeah, like I I get it's the same the thing. Theme, it's a synonym. Well, it the theme remains, but it's like the name of a ship, right? Wouldn't you just call it like swims against? Yeah. Like yeah, that I bothered me a lot. Really? That bothered me a lot. What happened to the big enough to kill you? That's what they originally their ship was originally called, wasn't it? Uh, well, I I feel like that was kind of a, you know, um, maybe a joke on their part. It, yeah, like maybe that was the ship they arrived there. I don't know actually. Okay, all right. So, because Mbot mentions that when they're in their first training, I think what was it? was she in her first training? He said, ha, you'll find this entertaining. Their ship is loosely translated something yeah. along the lines of yeah, big, big enough, enough to kill, kill you. you. Yeah. But it no, it's that's their original ship. Okay. Uh, okay, yeah. The, that's where they I'm... named the ship uh their like um, <laughs> superiority fighter or like yeah. battleship. Oh, that's thing. right, because they were so excited to get it when they were just like squeaking and they were running all over it and they got to see all their armaments on the ship and stuff. So oh, freaking adorable. So cool. Ah, that's uh. so cute. I want a Kitson as a friend, <laughs> not as a pet. Come oh yeah, now. but like, I, and I love their culture. I love how they're so clearly still like servants and and like treating Hesho as a king. And then he's yeah. just like, no, no, I'm not a king. We yeah. are very democratic. Yep. But at one point, totally he's insist- democratic. <laughs> at one point, he's insisting this as he's like propped up by the other Kitson and he's leaning back and they're yeah. cutting pieces of a steak and, and forking <laughs> it into his mouth. <laughs> This guy is so cool. I loved it. Yeah. I, I, oh. I cannot say it enough. Hesho is my man. That's what I wrote down here. In all caps. Hesho is my man. Yeah. No. It, it, without spoiling any other Brandon Sanderson books, Hesho's death is at least top three most, like, heartbreaking for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There, there are a couple of Cosmere deaths in there that I think are on, on the same level. But, uh, yeah. It... I can't wait to see what other Kitson we're going to get to meet in the future because mm. there's no way Brandon is leaving <laughs> them by the wayside. You know, they're they're too cute. They're there's too, too awesome. much potential in there. Yeah. They're too ferocious, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. Um, should we move on to Spencer? Let's move on to Spencer. Okay, I only really have one thing to discuss with Spencer, and it's a positive thing. I wanted to say that <clears throat> as a person, she was a lot easier to read this time around. 
Not that she was a pain to read in Skyward. She was still an enjoyable character in Skyward, but she was more enjoyable, I think, in this one. Um, she's definitely done a lot of growing up since the first book started. For one, it would have been yes. really easy, I think, for Brandon Sanderson to fall into the whole, I'm not going to tell anyone that I saw myself in that ancient video, and I'm going to refrain from mentioning that I thought I heard a voice say, it hears me. You know, I'd mm -hmm. much rather say nothing and spend a few pages hundred pages even brooding about whether or not I'm losing my mind and safe to be around. But instead, Spence is just pretty straight up with Jorgen and Cobb when they ask. Like, she holds nothing back. She's totally upfront yeah. and honest with them. For a character in a young adult novel, particularly a character who herself is in that age group, I found it endlessly refreshing. Yeah, I was going to say, refreshing is the word. And and that is, that is Spencer, though. Like, she is not... <laughs> Uh, at risk of using like kind uh -oh. of a, a a meme uh trope she is not your typical like ya girl you know she is straightforward you know she is like much more forthright and honest with the people around her and that's yep. just her personality you know like she had to grow up that way because of the circumstances around her dad and and she had to be confrontational and uh like willing to deal with people and it's it's a nice to see a different kind of girl someone who has self-confidence in her own way and and it's not just like another katniss everdeen who's like hey, not a mary sue yeah well yeah hey, not a mary sue but but who isn't constantly questioning be like i can't believe i'm this way i can't believe people see me this way like it no spencer's like i earned what i earned I am the way I am, you know. Like you said, Katniss Everdeen. You mean to tell me you've read Hunger Games? Yeah. Really? I hadn't considered. I haven't. I didn't think you would have. Sorry, <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not trying to be uh, dismissive <laughs> there. I just thought it was a little below your level, honestly. Uh, I actually read the first Hunger Games book in my senior capstone literature course in college. No crap, really. Yep. We. Oh, okay. We, uh, the class was called the literary history of the present, and, and well, actually, no. Let's let's not talk about your impressions about that. But we're talking about our impressions of a different book. Yeah, yeah. But um, I've I've read a, like a fair amount of YA, and yeah, Spencer is as you said refreshing in comparison to a lot of those characters. She doesn't have the standard like. I'm such a plain girl. Oh my god! Nobody could possibly <laughs> like me, and then every guy in the world is like tripping over themselves to get with their like yeah you know spencer has self-awareness which is really really refreshing mm -hmm. definitely so, uh yeah. but but on the topic of her character development in this book obviously her her biggest issue is figuring out her cytonic abilities mm -hmm. but i also liked how it was her developing a different kind of confidence where as I said, Spencer is a forthright person. She is honest. She is direct. And now she has to participate in a, a pseudofuge. Like, she has to go undercover. She has to hide behind a mask. And that is not what she is used to. That is not her personality. And so she has to develop confidence in a new skill set. And I think that's a really clever touch that Brandon used here, where it was... He already subverted our expectations for what a YA character is typically built on in Skyward. And now he's using um uh like he's using a plot line 
in this book that generally, like trope-wise speaking, is more reserved for, like, adult male characters in fantasy and science fiction. The warrior who has to, like, go mm-hmm. undercover and, and get out of his comfort zone. And now it's a teenage girl in this flipped trope of where all of these YA, you know, teenage girl characters tend to be like, oh, I feel like I have to hide behind a mask. Oh, this is the life I live. You know, that kind of a thing. And now Spencer really has to live that way. <laughs> but she's not used to it. Yeah. So I, I I liked how he developed her character arc in this book because of that. It was it was a really good way to flip a YA trope on its head. Yeah, Spencer, A-plus character in, in this book for me. Not not a single moment was I frustrated with Spencer. I don't think I I I could be wrong, but nothing comes to mind. I mean, there there are some moments where I was frustrated with how she treated Embot. Uh, but they were in character for her, so it wasn't like it didn't really pull me out of the story or anything. Hmm. Uh, but we'll get into that more in the prediction point at the end. Well, so. speaking of Embot. Yeah, let's talk about him. <laughs> okay, so as a direct contrast to how much I had to say about, about Spencer, I have a lot to say about Embot. I have a lot to say about Embot. So let's dive in. Um, okay. I wanted so my so my first note about Embot. I wrote down that Embot immediately has his SAS settings dialed up to eleven. It was it was pretty entertaining in the beginning, but I will admit I was a little concerned towards that same beginning when Embot just started saying things like resigned sigh and dismissive eye roll because i was afraid it was going to turn out to be a book long trait that was going to get very annoying very quickly but no 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 brandon had other ways to use mbot to continue to make us laugh and i found it to be a really really fun part of the book like i enjoyed mbot's humor as much this time around as i did in the first one which was quite a lot what about you dude yeah so mbot got a lot of uh, a lot more screen time in this one, so to speak. Um, there is a lot more going on with him, it, him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I loved how Brandon took what started off as like a companion, a typical companion character. Uh, it was easy in Skyward and in the first bit of starsight here to look at mbot as like a night blood analog okay oh you know you're this sort of like this sentient non-human non-living thing you know that that interacts with our main character and has like its quirks and it doesn't fully understand human colloquialisms or senses (laughs) of humor things like that uh but Mbot grew a lot in this book and he made that growth not necessarily a good thing he left no, Mbot on a really foreboding note yeah yeah see that's like, where I, that's where I want to go with this eventually yeah it, it, and again this is something I'll cover in the predictions at the end yeah but um but I I really appreciated how he took what could have been a really predictable sidekick type character and added new dimensions to it and set up p- 
potential conflicts for the future. Hmm. Yeah, I'll say that I really, really liked... I, I've said this already, and I'll say it again. I really, really liked Mbot in this book, but I do have some things to bitch about on the front of Mbot. Um, mm-hmm. So... This is where I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant. Uh, I want to say Mbot's concerning me in, in in some other ways. Not in terms of his character, which is going to be really cool if one of my predictions later in this episode turns out to be correct. It might be the same prediction you have. But in terms of, of how Brandon used him as a plot device. Spencer relies on Mbot and his endless range of abilities to get her through a ma- like the majority of her infiltration of Stillsight. A still sight, star sight. Listen to me. That's my Xbox Live gamer tag right there. Oh my god, I might actually do that some more going <laughs> forward. Star sight. Um, we find out immediately that it was first off. It was, and I'm gonna. I have a list written down here of all the times that it struck me as just ah, uh, Mbot was just a little too competent and a little too easy of a plot device here. Number one, we find out immediately that it was Mbot stealth systems that let them land on one of the defensive platforms and bring it online mm-hmm. around Detritus. You know, yep. number number two, chapter five, Raj, he's outlining his plan to steal a cytonic hyperdrive. And he says, Mbot has extremely advanced espionage capabilities. He can create detailed holograms. He can eavesdrop on conversations yeah. hundreds of meters away. He can hack enemy signals and computer systems with ease. Yeah, yeah. I, I had the same uh, impression early on in this book too, where I was like, well, that's convenient, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's a mere minute after that, Cog predicts. He says the Krell probably have transponders for authentication. And Rod replies, well, we could probably have Mbot spoof one. You know, of course you could have Mbot spoof one. Yeah. You know, take it. Okay, when Alanique's ship crashes, Mbot starts immediately detailing her origins. Spencer's incredulous. And he goes, huh? Oh, no, I hacked her onboard computer. It's like, oh, yeah. you, you just did that. Okay, while we were talking here. Um, another one, Jorgen asks Spencer how she plans on communicating, communicate, yeah, communicate, Jesus Christ, I can't speak today, communicating with the aliens in Alanique's place, and she holds up the translator pin, which Mbot has conveniently already hacked as well, switching the interface over to English, you know? Yep. Um, yep. They, ar- they arrive at Starsight for the first time, and they immediately, of course, as Cobb predicted, get bombarded with requests for identification. Mbot, chill as a cucumber! Just spoofs the signal, and Spencer even tells him, stall them, as she just has time to consider her predicament. You know, just just stall them, you know? I was like, oh my god, seriously, Spencer, do something for yourself at this point. I was getting kind of frustrated. Um, two more. Number one, the first thing Mbot says as they enter Alanique's housing on Starsight is, I've deactivated all the surveillance devices. I'm pretty sure I've found them all. It's like, uh, yeah, <laughs> of yeah. course you did. And then, the most glaring... The most obvious and blatant uh, example that I have here, Chapter 17, Mbot asks Spencer, do you want me to enhance your bracelet's auditory reception capacities, then wire translations directly into your ear so your pin won't give you away? I was just going, oh, come on, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, A lot of, like, a lot of the plot, you know, couldn't have happened unless Mbot could do all of this. Yeah. So, you know, I understand, but at a certain point, it felt a little bit like a deus ex machina, where it's just like, oh, there's a new, like, espionage problem that came up. Oh, don't worry, Mbot can handle it. Like, yeah. No, Mbot, <laughs> it's just, he's just, and, and of course, at this point, if I were Spencer, I would be at least giving some thought 
to the concerning nature of his origins. Like, who created this device? What mind is this going? Is does this represent? Like, like how is this creature, this thing? I call him a creature because I consider him to be alive. How is this thing able to do all of this stuff? She doesn't even consider it. She found it in a cave. She found yeah. it. I'll repeat that. She found it broken in a cave, and now she just <laughs> trusts it to deal with all of her problems, all of them. Yep. And I yeah. just, I don't know. It, obviously, she she treats him like an object for a large part. You know, man, bots a guy, man. Come on, treat him like a person. I felt so bad for him at so many times when he's questioning himself and what he's becoming, mm-hmm. and 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 how he's he's concerned in a very human way about like the development of his character, like like where exactly his future lies. I did like when love he starts that. Glitching out and yeah, stuff like oh, that. Yeah, oh, the clicks. And, you know, the and... first time the clicks came up on 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 screen on page, I got a legitimate chill. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, I was like, the first oh, time that happened to I was like, oh, crap. This is going like, somewhere, like, more staggering than I thought it was. Yeah. Like, wow, yeah. And, but, and then when taken into, you know, consideration with all of these warnings that were beaten over the head with in this yes. book about artificial well, intelligence. Well, some in the last book, dangers. but way more in this yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. So. And we learned that his, his processors use cytonic... Well, they are they are cytonic processors. So there's a reason, of course, that uh, we don't know what it is yet. But there is a mm-hmm. reason for this deep galactic expanding lore across the superiority itself, even about the use of advanced AI and the dangers it represents. And of course, oh, of course, I should probably say, you know, I'm going to save this part for a predict for the predictions part going forward. I'm going yeah, to stop okay. right there. Uh, Jorgen, discuss yes, Jorgen. Yes, I was about to say we got to talk Sweet. about Jorgen. Um, All right. I didn't mention him in the recap, uh, but he he starts developing, of course, cytonic abilities of his own mm. in a different way, uh, and he discovers this cavern full of doom slugs. Cavern full uh, of doom slugs. <laughs> uh, but I I really enjoyed Jargon in this book, and I I believe I said this on the Skyward episode as well. I like him a lot. Oh yeah, I you, like you his definitely character. had lots positive to say about that and, character. And I I like how Brandon handled his relationship with Spencer in this book. Yeah. I think everybody was both expecting him to have romantic, you know, interest with Spencer um, in Skyward. And I think everybody was also happy that Brandon didn't feel the need to go down that path and make like a teen drama <laughs> romance subplot. I remember being a little frustrated during the Skyward episode saying, come on, there were so many times where it almost happened. Uh, and, and then in this book, we just kind of skipped a lot of that drama mm-hmm. when, when Spencer, you know, expresses her, her feelings to him and then leaves. And so we have this kind of hopeful note that we're left with, uh, between Spencer and Jorgen. And we didn't have to go through all the like twilight bullshit that you would expect <laughs> in a YA romance subplot yeah on the subject i actually read twilight that's the that's the ya series that i read uh oh i read like the first 10 chapters of it and i was just like no you know what (laughs) all right i actually liked it oh you liked it oh no i my 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 (laughs) ex-girlfriend my girlfriend at the time rachel she made me read books one two three and then breaking dawn the fourth one was just coming out at that point so i read all four of those books Dude, they're not bad. The books are way better than the movies. Way better. Of course, you hear that all the time. Anyway, we'll, we'll, that's just 
completely on the side. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, on the topic of Jorgen, I will say I definitely liked the Jorgen interludes in Starsight way more than I liked than the, the Ironsides <laughs> interludes in Skyward. Um, that, like those ones weren't from the point of view. Or sorry, I say these ones were not from the point of view of a character that I wish would die at every third step they took. <laughs> so yeah, but. Fair um, I also want to say I loved the scene. I loved the scene between Jorgen and Spencer as they hurriedly outlined their insane plan before Spencer leaves for Starsight. Here is why we see that Jorgen is the perfect match for Spencer. First, we see her immediately recognize her dangerous impulse and decide to go to Jorgen before making the call. That's growth right there. That is growth. You know, she's panicking about their quickly evaporating deadline to put this plane into action, but he calmly sets down his helmet and he talks her through it without preamble. But, but, on the flip side, he does immediately agree with it, showing that she has in turn affected him quite a bit. But, calm, unflappable Jorgen, we have time for a quick outline. You know, this relationship is starting to feel more and more lock and key, if you get wink what I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I did. I did notice something awkward here, though. A little, a little something odd. Um, Spencer activated the hologram minutes before kissing Jorgen for the first time. So that means, from Jorgen's point of view, his first kiss was with Alanique. Alanique, yeah. Eee, a little awkward there, eh? <laughs> so, yeah, but he knew it was Spencer. Yeah, he so. knew it was Spencer. Still, it must have been a little odd. A little odd yeah, from yeah, his yeah. point of view. There, he's kissing an alien <laughs> to his point of view. Right. <laughs> right. Although I will say, Alanique. Sounds kind of hot. Just, just saying. <laughs> just saying. All right. <laughs> I, I will. I will neither confirm nor deny that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Moriah Mirror. Should we talk Mor about him or them? Moriumer. They. <laughs> them. Them. Yeah. Them for sure. Yeah. No, I thought the character of of was interesting. <laughs> you know. Uh, Brandon got to play with some really bizarre, like, social and gender congress with the Dions. Uh, but I will yep. say, this gender-neutral pronoun kept confusing the heck out of me. It, it always seemed like they was being used in the plural sense, though I... Now that I think on it, actually, technically, I guess it kind of was, because they are two individuals in one. Yeah. Um, I... I was a little put off by it at first, like the first, like, four or five times where I, I kept, like... Right, right. Having that little, like, shake my head and recalibrate. Uh, but... But I got used to it very quickly, um, and and I agree with you. I think it was a really clever opportunity that Brandon took. It's a really neat idea for an alien race. Yeah, as um, as they describe themselves, a hypothetical personality. I like that. That's kind of cool. And and it gives Moriumer this really cool mini character arc because he he has goals and yes. conflicts and hurdles to overcome. They. He they yeah. Uh, I I just did it. Um, <laughs> it. It's it's uh kind of surprising, but also back to my earlier point in style that this is Brandon probably at his best with character work, where even these minor characters, um, you know, and I talked about this on the Skyward episode too, where all of the cadets, even those who only lasted for you know like what 10, 20 pages. You know, in, in in Skyward, they were fleshed out dynamic characters. Yeah. And we see it again here where it's it's like these these minor characters have they're not just fleshed out and round and and maybe a little dynamic. They have like full on character arcs. 
in this book. I mean, it's it's crazy how much Brandon packed into this. And, and Moriamur, I think, is the most emblematic of them, with the possible exception of Braid. Ah, so. still don't get your your fixation but, on but, Braid. But they have they have different uh, they have different character arcs where they do, Braid's arc she she makes the wrong choice, right? The wrong choice, mm-hmm. and then Moriamur makes the heroic choice, and yeah. is rewarded because of that. Where at the end, Braid is now like an antagonist going forward. So. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so that's, I think that's the end. Let me check here. Yes, that's the end of my character discussion points. Anybody else you want to discuss before we go on to, like, uh, predictions, favorite scenes, miscellaneous thoughts? Um, other than screw Winzik, uh, <laughs> not really. Um, yeah. yeah. Seriously, screw Winzik. Figuratively, uh, not literally. Screw this guy. Yeah. Um, but, but I do want to move on to uh, favorite scenes here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so my my first kind of... I'm just going to go chronologically through the book because I can't really choose among them. Okay. Uh, my first favorite scene is the test. When Spencer realizes like, oh, okay. that it's live fire, mm-hmm. you know, and, and all of the sort of politicking that goes on among the pilots during this test and... And her bond that she builds with Hesho during it. And I, I really liked that quite a lot. Um, my second favorite scene has to be... Uh, it, 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 just, it has to be the dogfight over Detritus when Braid calls in the Delver. Really? I, yeah, I, I think that's some great writing on Brandon's part. Super exciting. It's action-packed. Uh, the descriptions are vivid. Uh, the, it, he doesn't get in the way of himself with his prose in that scene. It's very streamlined. Uh, it's just a masterfully written action sequence. And yeah. then my third okay. favorite was the post-epilogue chapter. <laughs> I mean, the, that that whole thing where just the shock of it to me. What a clever thing to do as an author and then what happens in it, of course, where we leave on this super unsettling note with Mbot. You know, it's it's great. It's yep. so great. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Uh, my favorite scenes. Um, I'll just okay. So I'll actually go in order um, of you know least to greatest in terms of my favoritism here. Number three, we just discussed this. Spencer and Jorgen as they were discussing their plan before she left. I just, I loved everything about those two characters and what it meant for their relationship in that scene. I'm so glad we didn't have another sort of awkward tiptoeing, kind of beating around the bush, teenage kind of drama happening there or just, you know, testing the waters there. They felt right together. They fit one another. Their, Their chemistry was flawless in that scene. I thought everything about that scene was perfect perfect yeah um, I, I i will agree but, with you there that was a like a near nearly you know kind of missed the cut for me yeah um number two and this isn't really one scene it's just one recurring not a gag so much as it is uh just a, a just a really cool recurring thing i don't know what to call it but it's hesho's spontaneous poetry <laughs> yeah i love this when he <laughs> when he offers up the name to vapor uh, vapor right i remember yeah vapor correctly yep mm-hmm the, the wind, <laughs> the wind that mingles with a man's dying breath. 
Yeah, ah, that's yeah. so cool. Or when he gets bumped into in the hallways. He says, even when we fly, <laughs> we are underfoot. Serene yeah. until marred, a centimeter deep, but reflecting eternity. I am a <laughs> sea to many, but a puddle to one. Uh, I like, so ah. I, I actually wanted to ask you about this. I'm okay. glad you brought this up. It was going to be in my closing thoughts, but did his poetic turn of phrase remind you of anything else we've read this year? This year? Um, a little bit. Um, I want to say Arcady Martin. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, a little bit. Just a tiny little bit. At least I am a spear in the hands of the sun. Oh, yes. <laughs> so oh. The yeah, because I, I read, uh, you know, I did the Gamma read for this very shortly after we finished reading A Memory Called oh, Empire. Oh, yeah. And so I was immediately, you know, it, it brought it to mind. But, yeah. Uh, okay, so what's your uh, what's your third scene? My absolute favorite scene, my number one favorite scene in the entire book, Ooh. was the scene where Spensa and they go on the walk <laughs> to the water garden. Um, oh. On my second read through, I'll admit I was headed into this scene. I wanted it to pass a little quickly, um, so I could get back to the action. But this time around, it was a different experience as a second read because, well, mostly because I realized exactly what this scene was for Spencer, like her character specifically. This scene here, this was the moment when she was watching all the different races of the superiority when she was talking to man and she was learning <laughs> about his their their goals and their aspirations and realizing that the people of Starsight, these the, the superiority itself is not her enemy or their enemy this was the moment that spencer decided consciously or otherwise that the superior that the, the, the superiority was worth saving at the end of yeah. this book mm -hmm. if it wasn't for this scene i don't know if she would have had the courage to do what she did and leave the tritus and save Starsight. that was it was really cool. It was kind of surreal coming to it this time around and seeing, okay, this is why she did this, you know? Yeah, that's a great insight. Sweet. That's a, that's a really nice choice for a scene. It's funny. Thank uh, you. I feel like normally when we do our three favorite scenes, we're kind of flip-flopped on some of them where I tend to, like, gravitate to, towards some of the more cerebral scenes. Right. And you tend to gravitate toward, like, the, the like action-packed scenes. Spectacle, this time yes. it was... It was flipped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. But that, I mean, that just tells you what Brandon Sanderson, you know, can do to me. Like he's that talented a writer. He's that cinematic a writer that, uh, you know, we, we've read some phenomenal action scenes from other authors, Matthew Stover, Arcadia mm -hmm. Martin, David Farland, you know, but nobody, well, Matthew Stover does, but, but very few people <laughs> can write an action scene like Brandon Sanderson. So, yeah. uh, but let's move into predictions here. Okay. Because I think we're going to have some overlap, but uh -huh. do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Sure. I've got, okay. I've got quite a few to make though. <laughs> um, okay. So as they, as they watch the recovered video from the second human war. Okay. One of the tech guys there with in, in the, the, the room with Spencer, he also says he can see the eyes he specifically says the eyes the rest of it, everybody else in the room um but uh they, like the rest of them well what did i write down here the rest of them seem to as well but jorgen or perhaps Cobb. they okay yeah they see they seem to see these little lights but i it was one of those two jorgen or Cobb that described it as just points of light or some such mm -hmm. only one other person in that room said eyes 
and it was the tech guy. So I might be a bit of a stretch. I fully admit that. I realize this. But I've been reading Brandon Sanderson too long not to keep an eye on this guy. Yeah, oh yeah. Okay? Yep. Number two. Um, we get no more mention of these supposed mind blades that Winzik warned Spencer against using as soon as he met uh-huh. her. This could be an Erdale. Ur- That's her race, right? Erdale ability. Yep. Erdale. But I'm thinking, obviously, it's an as-of-yet-unrevealed cytonic weapon that Spencer has at her disposal. Oh, Mind 100%. Bleeds. Yeah. Um, M-Bot is the key. He's the key. He's always been the big mystery and will turn out to be, I think, the biggest threat. There is a reason that there's so much lore forbidding the use of advanced AI. He does, I mean, he does, like I said earlier, he uses cytonic processing. And as the portal, if you'll notice, as the portal to the nowhere, as she calls it, is opened, Mbot immediately perks up and he starts functioning much more quickly and efficiently than he otherwise was on that limited hardware that he transferred himself to. So I'm calling it now. His transition to the nowhere with Spencer is going to unleash him in some way. And I also want to bring up something that he said, Mbot being he, in 13, chapter 13. He said, and I quote, I wrote this down word for word. You've lived your whole life with autonomy. For me, it's a new hazardous thing. A weapon I've been handed with no instructions. I might be on my way to becoming something terrible. Something I don't understand and cannot anticipate. Yep. Uh, so this is one of my, probably my biggest prediction. Yep. Is that Mbot will be our principal antagonist going forward. Yeah. I least. Le- <laughs> At some point. I don't want to say I do, myself I right do away. I do not right? see Winzik as being some no, ultimate. No, no. It is, it is Even going the Delvers. to be M-Bot. I, I yeah. thought, okay, it's going to be the Delvers, whatever's behind the Delvers. I think it's going to be M-Bot. Now I think yep. it's going to be M-Bot. Um, I think we're going to learn more about the creation of these AIs. Or like in like about what or who even they well, were. Well, certainly, yeah, yeah. Um, relating still back to old Earth, the first human war, not the second human war, the first. Mm-hmm. I still think Mbot might have been an actual dude at one point, but I'm nowhere near as certain about that as I am going forward that he's going mm. to become a principal antagonist. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mbot's going to be the main bad guy in book three. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm positive about that yeah and you all can laugh at me when book three comes out and mbot is not the principal oh sure hey me so. too i'm hey yeah. I'm, I'm saying it i'm making it known right here now drew i'm 100 on board with that right there um so my second last the attitude of the delvers the way they see their home as peace and serenity while intelligent life i'm using air quotes there represents kind of frustration emotion anger etc it rang a bit familiar Though I, I really don't want to say any more for fear okay. of spoiling sure. another series. Um, and my last prediction. Not, it's not a prediction. It's just a question I have. Something that I guess got glossed over and never got explicitly or even um, unconventionally explained. Uh, why was Alanik's ship crash landing on Detritus in the first place? Are we just going to ignore that and all of its various implications? Like, she tried to go to the superiority, she tried to go to Starsight, and somehow she ended up crash-landing on Detritus. And we never got an explanation for that, so I think we're going to get one going forward, and it's going to be a big deal. Oh, yeah, uh, Alanique is going to be a pivotal character in this. Yeah. I mean, the, the Erdale, her, her whole race, they're such a wild card. Yeah, absolutely and, agreed and i'm certain they're going to be a, a key player in this brewing war 
uh, going forward. Uh, I will say the only the only prediction I had that you didn't touch on there in your kind of little laundry list, yeah, <laughs> uh, is about Braid. Okay. Um, so, I I have a feeling that the third book is going to open up and set up Braid as the main antagonist. And by about two thirds of the way through, Braid and Embot are going to swap. Braid is going to have her come to the light moment. She is going to side with humanity and with Spensa, and Embot, possibly at the same moment, is going to flip on them and become this ultimate like terror. That I like that. Have to deal with. It's very Brandon Sanderson. I like that. I do like that prediction. Uh, yeah, it that that decision totally wasn't informed by me having read dozens of Brandon Sanderson no, stories. No, definitely before or not. Yeah, it couldn't no. be in any way. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, those yeah. are our favorite scenes out of the way, and predictions out of the and way. And predictions out of the way. Oh, sorry, I meant to say predictions. Yeah, I do have a couple miscellaneous thoughts. Okay. Um, by couple, I mean five, but two of them we've already covered actually. Um. One of my predictions from our Skyward episode turned out to be true, though now I consider it might not have been a huge stretch to assume. Uh, namely, my prediction about the black fighters that Spensa can't hear with her cytonic senses. They're piloted yep. by actual aliens, and in mm-hmm. one case, even a human. Boom! Nail it. Mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> Drew, your prediction about Doomslug being the machine behind the cytonics, or the hyperdrive, oh, I yeah, should say, well. <laughs> totally nailed it, right? We, we talked about that. Um... I loved, I will say, I loved the whole training video that they had to watch, the how to fight a Delver training video. It yeah. was cringeworthy and awesome <laughs> in just the right amounts. It was so cool. Oh, um, oh yeah. Uh, this this human expert that's on the superiority news, uh, Suzumi, Suzumi, the human expert, refers to the newscasts or on the newscasts, to the explosion of human aggression that began 10 years ago. Hmm. I just want to say that. I just want to say, hmm. Yeah. Some some foreshadowing, probably. Yeah. There. Yeah, well, I mean, wasn't uh, the first Battle of Alta where, where Spence's father was lost roughly about 10 years ago? Uh, it was roughly about 10 roughly years ago. Roughly about that, yeah. Hmm. And my last miscellaneous thought. Page 409 in my PDF of the advanced reading copy. Spencer is chasing Braid through this battle, and she thinks to herself that these two are like, they two are like sharks chasing one another through a school of minnows. Um, are there sharks on Detritus? Minnows, perhaps? <laughs> Where does she know these words? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. Or I should say, that where is... did she learn these words? That is a fair point. So, yeah, um, that's I mean, it. I mean, it could very well be yeah. just, like, Earth Legends, right? Sure. Uh, but, but yeah, that, that's, that's an interesting little and, thing there. Yep, yeah, that's, and that's the end of all of my notes to discuss about Starsight. Uh, so, I want to just talk briefly about Vapor and the Figments. Oh, the Figments! Yeah, we didn't touch on them yet. Uh, because, once again, you know... I mentioned how cool the Dions were as a as an alien species, and yep. the Figments as well are super interesting. Yeah. Uh, and Vapor, I'm really interested in, considering yep. uh, 
like how she knew. I mean, from the get go, right? How she knew what? That uh, Spencer was Spencer and not Alanique. She, no, she didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vapor like talked to Spencer, right? About no, like, Vapor. How... Vapor was saying, "Oh, how did I not see this? I should have seen this. I should have realized yeah. what you were." She said that to her like ninety percent of the way through this book. She said, "I should have seen it." She didn't know from the from the get go that well, Spencer well, was she, human. She knew that Spencer wasn't Alanique. She knew that it like uh, there was okay. something. You know, something like, off. Yeah, okay. um, and and this uh, th- this interaction with the figments, it, it's operating on such a fundamentally different level from all the other alien species. There are different senses involved. There are different yep. mentalities involved, and and like honestly, like different almost laws of physics where vapor can just like. You know, vacuum doesn't affect her. Uh, she can possess ships, you know. I would have a problem with that, though. A vacuum might not affect her, but temperature would. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm, I'll let that just, slide. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. yeah. But it's a really neat idea, and it brings in potential for a lot of really cool uh, interspecies interactions going forward here. I, I like that, and, and I like how you know, that whole thing was set up because Vapor experiences reality differently from Spensa. And so Spensa never even considered like how how some of these situations would play out from these aliens' points of view, right? Right. It was a subtle but effective way for Brandon to to like kind of drive home like they are aliens you know they are not human no matter how human their mannerisms may seem yeah so and i do want to point out real quickly just just going forward i don't know why i want to point this up but i want to i do want to um vapor is not the only one of the figments that we meet we did meet one more although i don't remember this other one's name or who they were connected to but i remember saying oh we have another one here I want to say mm-hmm. start with a Z or start with a V. Yeah, perhaps. I I remember what you're talking about. I don't remember the name either. Though. Maybe it was Kuna um, that was taught. I don't know. But yeah, we did meet one more. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, I, unless you have anything else, I think that's a, a pretty good wrap for our discussion. Do you want to head into the final draft? Yeah, I'm down to head into the final draft. Okay, I'll give us. Uh, I'll start us off. Yeah, let's do it. Good. So I was in the grocery store about half an hour before we started this podcast looking for a beer. Actually, no, that's a lie. Sorry. I actually went back to the grocery store half an hour before this podcast because I remembered seeing a beer there yesterday. And that kind of made me laugh when I saw the name. Couldn't really think of anything to do with this this week's podcast. We recorded Lord of Destruction. Lord of Destruction. Oh, my God. I'm really excited about the, uh, <laughs> the Diablo unveiling. The Lord of Chaos episode that we just recorded. <laughs> and I couldn't find anywhere in that book to insert this beer, but by God, I remembered that beer today, and I went back and got it because it, there's an actual perfect um, relation between this book and this beer. And this is oh. an ode here, not so much to the book, but one character in particular. You were saying earlier, you were saying, screw Winzik. Oh, boy. Screw Winzik, this guy. He's just, he's not, he's not an A-plus character. He's really not a kind of guy that... Um, 
we yeah. really hope continues to succeed. So in his honor, I brought here <laughs> an English ale from Great Lakes Brewery. Not the first time we've actually featured Great Lakes yeah. Brewery. This here is called Pompous Ass. <laughs> and that one's for yes. you, my friend Winzik. <laughs> pompous oh, ass. I it's just so it. fun to say too. Just say it. Say it with oh, pompous yeah. ass. Oh, I love it. It's a it's a great insult. <laughs> so that's well, my final draft entry. So I, I have to admit, me. I did not get to bring in the beer I wanted to for this episode. Okay. Um, like if you will recall, uh, on Foundry side, there was a particular beer that I thought would have been great called one key for that. Yeah. One. Yeah. Yeah. I but I, that. I was going to have to try to trade for it and I couldn't, couldn't quite swing the trade. Um, it was a similar situation this time around. I was trying to get my hands on a bottle of, uh, a bourbon barrel aged Imperial vanilla stout from bottle logic in California called fundamental observation which I thought would have been great for Mbot. Huh. Uh, but I I just I couldn't close a trade in time for that. I can see um, that. I like that. Um, but instead, I am bringing in a beer. Uh, my wife, Lauren, actually, uh, she was going to join us on this episode, but mm. she she couldn't uh, read the book. She had a concussion and, and couldn't read yeah. for a couple of days. She had, was oh, on, she's like, okay. No, no sensory. Yeah, she's doing better now, but, but she didn't finish in time. Uh, so... Um, but she got this beer, you know, in preparation for the episode, and this was her ode for, to Spensa, and Spensa's, uh, struggle to adapt to life on Starsight. And this is a bourbon barrel-aged coffee porter with bourbon barrel-aged coffee beans. Oh my god. And it's a collaboration between Boulevard Brewing Company in Missouri and Modern Times in California. And uh, it's it's only seven point five percent, which is pretty. Oh, that's low. child's play compared to what you brought on last time, Mister Seventeen Point Five Percent. Oh wait, that's actually a future episode. Well, the, oh, yeah, that's a future episode. <laughs> yeah, we recorded uh, that episode already. For those who are wondering what the heck I'm talking about, but yeah, it is only seven point five, but it is, I mean, roasty as hell. Mm. Uh, not a whole lot of bourbon, considering how much they tout the, the bourbon barrel aged here. It's it's not particularly boozy. It's just really malty, really roasty, tons of coffee. Uh, super drinkable, honestly. Yeah. Like, not too heavy. Um, uh, doesn't, like, linger too much, you know, on the tongue. It, it As finishes a border. Yeah. clean. Yeah. Uh, it's really good. But it is called Restless Nights. Oh, yeah. I see how that does. I see how that has to do with Spencer and her restless nights on Starsight. I like that. Tell yeah. Lauren I approve of that one. That was a good one. Yeah, yeah. And um, tell her I want to get her on another episode in the future. Yeah, she she does want to get back on here uh, Sweet. sooner rather than later. But definitely, <laughs> we have the Wheel of Time. We do. Uh, that we're in the middle of, and Lauren has read those a couple of times. So, uh, But I think that's... Uh, pretty much where we leave off yeah i think so so this has been episode 42 no nope. yes no sorry you're right 42 go ahead <laughs> i almost uh, screwed up inking out loud podcast um next up uh episode 43 will be uh, lord of chaos part two we're going back to the wheel of time yeah and um you know that'll be our our regularly scheduled programming 
going forward. Uh, in the meantime, though, you know, if you're appreciating what we're doing, if you want to get access to you know, our bonus episodes or early access to the main episodes, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. We got a, a, you know, a few different tiers of support you can check out there and some good benefits. And yes. all that money goes straight to uh, Pat, our sound engineer, and Danny, our artist. So, yeah, and for all of you who are already supporting us on Patreon, we very much appreciate that help. Ditto. Yeah, so as always, I am your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Heyo! And thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye, everybody.